Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for your word. It is such a precious gift to have your very words before us. Lord, help us to treat them as your words and help us to accept them as true because they come from a true God. May we not doubt what you say here, but may we believe it and then put our lives on the line with it. May we trust you with our very selves because you have spoken to us and you have told us how to live. Lord, may this morning you speak through me as we look at your word together. May I explain it clearly and may the people gathered here this morning who are committed to you be edified and if anyone here this morning does not know you, has not put their trust in Jesus Christ, may they be helped this morning to come to a saving knowledge of your Son. And we pray this in his name. Amen. I want to begin by asking a question. Do Christians suffer? Do Christians actually suffer? We sometimes think that if we do the right thing all the time, if we're a good person, we won't suffer. This is an idea that's been around for centuries. You go right back in the Old Testament and that concept is there that if you're good, you won't suffer and if you're bad, you will suffer. And we learn this ourselves from a very young age. When you're good in the home, you don't suffer. When you're bad, the wooden spoon comes out and you do suffer. And then at school, if you're good in school, you don't get detention, you don't get suspended and you don't get expelled. But if you're bad and rowdy, you can get detention, you can get suspended and you can get expelled. And I was a a good child at school, so I never got detention and I never got suspended and I never got expelled. And so that mentality is in my head that if I am a good person, I will not suffer because I've been trained in that from a young age. And sometimes we're then tempted to think if I'm a good Christian, a faithful Christian, I will not suffer. I will not experience pain like everybody else. Only the bad people experience suffering in this world. But it doesn't take long before we realise that that is not true, that Christians do suffer. But then we might think, oh, well, I'm not a true Christian. I'm not as committed as other Christians, so that's why I'm suffering. When we experience pain, we think, oh, maybe I'm not a, a, a very faithful Christian. If I was a better Christian, I wouldn't suffer. But we don't have to look far in the pages of the New Testament to see that that's not true at all. Do the apostles, the very best of Christians, suffer? Yes, they do. They're imprisoned, they're stoned to death, they experience great suffering for being Christians and they were great Christians. I don't think anyone in this this room could claim to be a better Christian than the Apostle Paul. He was a very faithful man of God, yet he experienced pain and suffering. And then, when we consider Jesus Christ, he was a very, very good man. In fact, he never sinned at all. And did he experience pain and suffering? Yes, he did. He experienced pain and suffering throughout his life and then particularly at the cross. He was a very good man, but he did experience that pain. And that's what I want to look at this morning then, is Christian suffering. It puzzles us because we think that Christians really shouldn't suffer. And so we ask, why do Christians suffer? 
And I think Peter gives us some very good tips as to how we are to think about Christian suffering. And so my first main point this morning is I want to look at the characteristics of Christian suffering. I've got three main points this morning and they're on the uh, church bulletin if you want to see what's coming. But my first main point this morning is the characteristics of Christian suffering and we'll be focusing on 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 6 and 7. So if you've got a church pew Bible there, it's page 1200, verses 6 and 7, just two verses. And firstly, we're looking at what are the characteristics of Christian suffering. And the first thing I want to point out about Christian suffering that uh, Peter points out is that Christian suffering is real suffering. We do suffer and it is painful suffering. When we experience suffering as a Christian, it's not like we somehow have a shield that kind of protects us a bit and so we don't experience the pain as a non-Christian would experiencing the same thing. No, it really is painful. Peter says, In this you greatly rejoice, referring back to what we we looked at the last couple of weeks uh, about uh, inheritance in heaven. And then he moves on to the subject of suffering. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trial. You will suffer grief and it's real grief that you will experience. It's not some other grief that non-Christians experience and you experience a lesser degree. No, it's real grief. The word there in the Greek is uh, mental anguish, that you experience this anguish in your head, that suffering that you feel when you experience the different types of suffering that we have in this world. And then Peter doesn't just say that we experience real suffering. He says it comes from all kinds of trials. It comes in all different ways to us. Verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. It's not as though Christians only experience some types of suffering and the non-Christians experience everything. So they get the lot. Christians we only experience maybe physical harm or maybe we only experience uh, loss of loved ones or maybe we only experience uh, loss of financial wealth or loss of jobs or even that we suffer with different types of sins whereas the non-Christians have all kinds of sins but Christians only fall into temptation in certain areas and suffer with those. No, Christians experience not just suffering, they experience it, experience it in all kinds of ways. You as a Christian are not exempt from different types of suffering. You may experience them in your life. You may not experience the lot, but you may experience any sort of suffering that non-Christians will experience as well. It comes in all kinds of trials. But the other characteristics, so uh, on the characteristics of Christian suffering, we've seen that it's real, we've seen that it comes in different ways. The other thing he says, which is kind of an encouragement for us, is that it's only for a little while. In verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trial. It's only for a little while that we suffer. What does he mean by that? Well, one way that we can see this is the fact that we aren't here for a very long time. It may seem like a long time. I'm 30 years old now and so that seems like quite a lot, particularly when uh, I speak to my little nephew and he asks how old I am and he goes, whoa, that's old. He's only five. 
and I'm 30. That's a long time. But really we're here for a very little time compared to eternity, compared to forever. We may be here 70, 80, maybe make 100 years, but that's a very little while compared with eternity that goes on and on and on forever. And if we're a Christian, we know that we won't suffer for eternity, that our suffering only lasts until we die or until Jesus returns. And then we go to a place where it's pain-free, suffering-free, and that goes on and on forever. It's only for a little while that we suffer in this world. And even then, our lives are not just one big painful experience. Suffering comes and goes. What does he say there? He says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. You may have had to suffer. Not every one of you has, but some of you have. It doesn't go on and on. You can have periods of suffering, yes, but there are periods of blessing where you don't experience much suffering at all, where you are quite content, where God is giving you all these things that you can enjoy and the suffering is in the background if it's there at all. It doesn't go on and on. It's only a little while. It can be a little while in this life and it's certainly a little while when we compare it to eternity. The other thing that we learn about Christian suffering, another characteristic here that Peter says, is that Christian suffering happens when necessary. We see this in verse 6 as well. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. It's not quite clear there in the NIV translation, but you can get the point there. May have had to suffer. The word, other translations say, if necessary. It's a little Greek word that's uh, translated there. And that's another translation, if necessary. Christian suffering at times is necessary. God says it's a must. It has to happen. It's necessary for Christians to experience suffering at certain times. But this question then, this characteristic then raises the question in our minds, If it's necessary, why is it necessary? God says you have to suffer. Why would he want me to suffer? Isn't he a good God and it's meant to be everything is great for me in life because I'm serving him? Why is it necessary that I suffer? Well, Peter gives us an answer. And that's my second main point. The purpose of Christian suffering. What is the purpose of Christian suffering? Peter actually tells us. There's many purposes given to us in the Bible as to why we are to suffer. They can be things like it's a killing of worldliness and sin in our lives when we, when we suffer. Uh, our sins are, are purged from us, refined from us. Uh, it can increase humility, drive us to prayer, uh, closer to God. But what's the purpose that Peter gives us here? What is the purpose of Christian suffering? Well, the purpose that Peter has in mind is proving genuine faith. And he tells us this, verse 7, speaking about Christian suffering, he says, These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. 
Our faith is proved genuine when we suffer. Why would God need to prove that our faith is genuine? Why would he do this? Well, it's because there's false faith out there as well. Not everyone who claims to be a Christian and says they have faith is speaking the truth and really has faith. There is false faith out there. And the illustration that Peter gives us is helpful here about gold. He says that faith is like gold but actually more valuable than gold because gold perishes with fire. But there's fake gold out there as well. And so when someone comes to us and says, I have some gold here, we want to know that it's truly gold because there's fake stuff. I, as a 10-year-old, was, uh, I got into rock collecting for a certain amount of time and, uh, and so I collected bits of rock from around the place, read books about rocks, but all I really came up with with a bit of gravel, uh, a bit of quartz, uh, a stone up the back, um, igneous rock that uh, you can find around, different pebbles. But then someone at church knew I was into rock collecting and gave me some samples. They were a rock collector as well. And so they gave me some other samples. And one of them was fool's gold. And it's this, it was black, but it had the little specks of fool's gold scattered throughout it. And I looked at it and thought, Maybe it's real gold. How do I know? Maybe he didn't realise and he's given me real gold and he thought it was fool's gold. There's fake gold out there and we need to know whether what we have is real gold or what we have is fake gold, particularly because gold is very precious. When Peter writes here at this time, gold was the most precious metal around and it got you a lot if you had lots of gold, just like it does today. You can get many things with gold if it's true gold. And so you need to prove that it's real gold when you've got gold, in Peter's day and today. And if that's the case with gold, then how much more faith? Faith is much more valuable than gold. Peter says that there. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold... Why is it more valuable than gold? Well, because it gets you so much more. Just like gold could get you a lot, you could buy lots of things if you had lots of gold. With faith, you get so much. If you've got real faith, what do you get? You get eternal life. You get to be in heaven. You get to be with God himself, with Jesus there and speak to him face to face. It is of great value to have faith. And that faith gets you stuff that's eternal, of eternal value. Gold and the things that you buy with gold here, it'll all perish eventually. It'll all die. But faith, what it buys you, what it gets you, goes on and on forever. So if we want to test gold to see that it's genuine, how much more faith when it gets you so much more? You want to know that you've got the right thing. You want to know that you've got real faith, that that faith that you have is going to get you salvation for eternity in heaven. And so it needs to be tested. And that is where suffering comes in. Just as we stress gold to see whether it's true gold, so God stresses the Christian with suffering so that we know that we really have true faith and not false faith. Because false faith is out there just like fool's gold is out there. So God comes along and tests us with suffering 
And you see this in life. You see that suffering does test people. You see people who claim to be a Christian and they say they're a Christian, they come to church, they acknowledge God, they acknowledge Jesus, but then something happens in their life. Maybe a family member dies, might be their husband or wife, might be a child, might be their mother or father. And what happens? They're very upset. They're grieved. And then they turn against God. They curse God. They get angry with God for taking away the person that they loved. And they show that their faith is not true faith at all. Or it may be that they experience some sickness themselves. They're diagnosed with cancer. And what do they do? They were a Christian before, but as soon as they find out that diagnosis, they say, how could God do this to me? I'm not going to church anymore. I'm not praying to him. I'm not reading my Bible. He can't do this to me. And they show that their faith that they had before is really false faith all along. Or it may be financial ruin. They had lots of money. Nice. I'm a Christian now. As soon as they lose their house, they lose their bank account, they lose their nice cars, they suddenly go, I'm not worshipping God anymore. How can he do this to me? Or maybe that they're persecuted. They're a Christian, while it's all nice and legal to be a Christian in places like Australia, but if, they, if suddenly the law changed in Australia and they said, if you're a Christian, we'll lock you up in jail... Those people who previously said they were Christians suddenly say, oh, I'm not a Christian at all. They turn away from God, showing that their faith is fool's faith, just like fool's gold. Or maybe they fall into some great sin. They're okay when everything's cruisy, but some temptation comes along that really attracts them. And they fall into that sin and leave God behind, showing that their faith is not genuine at all. Suffering shows false faith. But it also shows true faith when someone who claims to be a Christian experiences those same things, but instead of turning away from God and getting angry with God, they continue to trust in God and say, this is from God, but I still love you, God. I still trust in you. And Job in the Old Testament is the classic example of this. He loses loved ones, his children. What does he do? He continues to worship God. He loses his wealth. What does he do? He continues to worship God. He loses good health. He gets very, very sick and very painful. And what does he do? He continues to worship God. He continues to trust God no matter what happens. And he shows that his faith is absolutely genuine. It is true gold, not fool's gold. We see that Christian suffering in this life, we don't need Peter to tell us. We can look around us and look at people and we see this person, they experience suffering, what do they do? They turned away from God. This person experienced great suffering, what do they do? They turned to God and got closer and closer with him. We see it in our lives. The purpose of suffering, one of the purposes, the purpose that Peter gives us here, is that it shows genuine faith and it shows false faith. So we've seen the purpose of suffering, we've seen some characteristics. Lastly, I want to look at what is the result 
of Christian suffering. What is the result? Well, the result is when a Christian suffers, they get that tick of approval of their faith. Their faith is proved genuine. And what does that faith then result in? Well, we are told. Verse 7. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. True faith results in praise, glory and honour. So when you come through that suffering, you then result in having praise, glory and honour. Or is it you? Who gets the praise, the glory and honour? What does it say there in the text? May be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Who? Is it God or is it you? Is it Jesus or is it you? I think Peter's deliberately ambiguous here. I think it's both. I think the praise, the glory and the honour comes to both. It comes to you because you stood through the test and the suffering and the Bible speaks often about Christians being praised and glorified by God and honoured by him. He will say, well done, good and faithful servant, as you've come through this life and have stayed true to him. But then God also gets praise, glory and honour when you come through suffering with your genuine faith because he is the one who has given you that faith and he is the one who has given you strength to persevere through those trials. And so he is the one who ultimately gets the praise, glory and honour. You get it as well, but it's a gift from him and all the work that you did, it was through his strength as well. So ultimately he gets the praise and glory and honour. But you do in his pleasure. He loves to praise his people, to glorify them and to honour them for what has happened. And this makes sense that this is the result of suffering and genuine faith that comes through. If we look back at our illustration of gold, what happens with gold when it's proved genuine? Well, it gets nice things done to it, doesn't it? It gets put in a nice vault. You don't put things in a secure vault and with lots of protection and guards there uh, ready to kill anyone that tries to break in. Gold gets put in a nice vault or it gets fashioned into some nice piece of furniture or overlays something so that, and, and it's put in a rich person's house or a very uh, honoured person in this world. They get this piece of gold furniture there. Or it can even be the honour of being on a king's head as a crown. The gold gets fashioned into this lovely crown and it's put upon a person with great responsibility, great power in this world and is honoured there. Not everyone gets to sit on the king's head. Genuine gold gets to sit on the king's head. And then we honour gold by, it can sometimes become a ring on a person's finger to signify something very important, very important, that this person has made a commitment to another person until death do they part. It signifies something great and is honoured there upon that person's finger. And just as we see gold is honoured when it's proven genuine, so we see people, their faith is honoured when it is proven genuine. So what kind of faith do you have? Do you have a faith at all? Do you believe in anything? Are you an atheist and you don't believe there is a God? If that is you, do you realise what you're missing out on? 
you are missing out on something of greater worth than gold. You could have all the gold in the world and still be missing out on something greater. Faith is of greater worth, of greater value than all the gold in the world. And if you don't have it, you are missing out. And you are missing out on the results of that genuine faith as well. You're missing out on the praise, the glory and honour of God himself. And instead, if you do not believe, you'll be condemned for not believing, for sinning against the God who made you and wants you to believe in his son and his son's death for you. If that is you, don't be like that. Have faith and have it this morning. Trust in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. And have something today that is more valuable than all the gold in the world. Have something that gives eternal riches, that lasts, unlike gold which perishes with fire. But if you claim to have faith in Christ, do you wish to know that you are saved? To know that you have true faith and that your faith will really get you an eternal inheritance? Do you sometimes wonder whether... I don't have the real faith, I might not really be saved. Well then, if that is you, you want to know, look at how you respond when you suffer. We've all suffered different things. I don't think there's anyone in this room who hasn't suffered something. You can look back at some past experience that was painful for you, look at that and say, did I turn to God in that experience or did I turn away from him? If you say you turned away, I would seriously question your faith because Peter would seriously question your faith. When you suffer, if you turn away from him, you show that you do not have genuine faith, that you just have a false faith. Well, when you suffer, do you turn to God? Then you can know that you really do have an eternal inheritance in heaven that your faith will last, that it will go on and on and you have true faith that is so much more valuable than, than gold. Suffering is painful and Christians do suffer. But in one sense we can welcome suffering. It's painful at the time but it shows whether we are really Christians which is something I think we all wonder about. I wonder about it. Am I truly a Christian? Then I look back at those times where I have suffered and I see that in those times I didn't question God and his goodness and his faithfulness to me. Yes, it was painful, but I turned toward him, not away from him. And I hope that everyone in this room has that faith, has a faith that when suffering comes is proved genuine. Let us speak now with our God. Let us pray with him. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a good God, that you are a faithful God and that everything that happens to us in this life is for our good if we love you. Lord, we thank you that through suffering we can know whether our faith is genuine, that you allow us to prove ourselves through suffering. Lord, we pray that you may give us genuine faith that is proved through suffering. Help us to stand those trials, whether it be the pain in our physical bodies, Lord, or whether it be the pain of losing someone or losing possessions in this world. 
Lord, we pray that we may always persevere with you and show that our faith is indeed genuine. And Lord, we pray for anyone who is in this room this morning who does not have that faith that is of of greater value than gold. Lord, we pray that they may see that they are overlooking such a treasure, the best treasure in this world. May they put their trust in you this morning. May they repent of their sins and believe in the Lord Jesus' death for themselves. And may they then, when they suffer, see themselves turning to you and not away from you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.